Hello, and welcome to the Faith Over Fear podcast, where we tackle our most pervasive fears with truth. Because life is too short for any of us to live enslaved. We would love to connect with you online. Just visit our show notes to learn how to connect with us. I'm Jennifer Slattery, and our culture has become increasingly hostile to the things related to faith and absolute truths. It's also become increasingly blunt, often cruel and attacking over the years. Everyone has an opinion and a keyboard and a mobile device to share their thoughts. And if someone disagrees with you, you just might find yourself unfriended, blocked, or canceled. And while some of us could benefit from holding our tongues and upping our love and our grace, others of us could use a dose of courage to speak when and as God leads. In fearing, we'll act like or be viewed as all the hostile posters lighting up our social media pages. I worry some of us have begun to lose our voice during a time when our world most needs to hear about the hope and the light of Christ. Why well, brought Ava Pennington back on today? You'll remember her from episode 64 titled Resting in the God Who Provides. She recently joined the Holy Love podcasting team, which means you'll have the privilege of hearing a lot more from her in the future. Ava, thank you so much for coming back today. Well, thank you for having me. I'm excited about joining the team. Ava, I know as a Bible study teacher and a devotional writer that you are passionate about sharing truth, but you do it in a kind, gentle, and disarming way. Well, thank you for that, Jennifer. Truth is something that I do share on a weekly basis with the Bible study class I teach. And what I found is that in our culture, often these days, people confuse truth with experience or their story. Truth has become relative. You know, my truth is, your truth is, and, and, and they don't necessarily have to be the same. And yet as Christians, we know that truth is absolute and that our standard for absolute truth is the Bible. So it's a matter of learning how to share that in a loving, gentle, uh, gracious manner and yet not compromising truth in a culture that thrives on compromising truth. It certainly is a challenge, but it's really not a challenge that's new to this generation. No, it's not. I mean, think back to the New Testament when Paul wrote to Timothy about not being fearful, not having that spirit of fear. So yeah, this has been going on for thousands of years, even though we may feel like our it's, it's a new phenomenon in our culture. And you mentioned Timothy. And when I just consider what was going on at the time and when Paul wrote to him, so Paul was an ancient church planner who wrote a lot of the New Testament and Timothy was, was sort of like his, his protege or, or his mentee. And during that time, Paul was writing from a Roman dungeon and he knew that his time was near that he was probably going to be executed soon. And so Timothy literally faced life or death persecution outside of the church. But also when we read through the book of books of first Timothy and second Timothy, we get a sense that there was also a lot going on, a lot of, of turmoil within the church and false teachers rising up within the church. So he was being squeezed from without and squeezed from within. And then the man that he had traveled with and learned from and probably looked up to, he knew exactly what, what Paul had faced and experienced for sharing truth. And I imagine he also felt a little alone. Well, a little alone in that 
Paul, he had traveled with Paul, but now Timothy was responsible for a particular location and Paul is still doing his travels. Uh, and at the same time, I would imagine he would look at all that Paul suffered and think, uh-oh, if I speak truth, is that my future? Is that is that what's going to happen to me? And let's face it, nobody looks forward to the kinds of experiences that Paul had as he suffered for the gospel. And so probably he probably was afraid, like you said, of being hurt physically, of experiencing bodily harm. I imagine he was, even if he didn't experience bodily harm, he knew there was a very real probability of being imprisoned. And I bet he probably wrestled back and forth. I mean, we know he was human and, and I wonder if he had moments of courage and then moments of fear and moments where he's like, you know, I don't want to lead. I mean, be by being a leader during a time of persecution, he was leading others to embrace that same fate. And I think probably feeling like he had to, to, to lead by example. And I think that can be overwhelming. Well, Absolutely. Because then you wonder, all right, I'm leading by example, but is it the right example? Is it a good enough example? Am I failing in areas where I might even have blind spots and I don't know I'm failing? You know, and then you have this this whole thing with the false teachers rising up in, in his church and you think, well, if I was a better leader, would they be rising? I mean, there's just so many things that factor into our own insecurities as we try to share truth. And what was true of Timothy is true of us today, right? We come from different backgrounds, different families, different educational experience. Maybe uh, some of us are newer believers and we don't know scripture as well. Uh, and, And so those are the kinds of things that influence our ability to speak truth with confidence. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. You know, I wanted to circle back. So you'd mentioned that he was facing opposition from false teachers. So just to give a little background of that, when we read through the books of First and Second Timothy, we get the sense that there were people who were rising up in the church that must have been gaining some sort of influence. So they must have had some sort of power within the church structure, and they were teaching heresies. And so basically... Paul had left this new leader in this environment during a very tense time in history to come against the people with potential power in the church who were leading others 
away from the gospel. And I don't know if you've ever been part of a church split or church division, and it can be intimidating and it can be ugly and it can be very hard when you watch other people experience maybe loss of friendships, maybe loss of of community. It can be super challenging to embrace that, the potential of rejection and, and do the hard right thing. And add to that, that Timothy was a young man. And so if, if any of these false teachers or these leaders were older, more established, more you know, respected in the community, that sense of insufficiency or that sense of, oh, they're not going to listen to me. These are, these are um, my elders in, in terms of age and status in the community. And so uh, that would only add to his concerns, right? Especially in a culture back then where respect for your elders was, was part of the DNA of the culture, maybe a little less so today, but back then that would have been yet another factor. Absolutely. And I think, you know, you talk about the feelings of insufficiency, you know, probably thinking like, this is just too much. This is too hard. What can I say to refute these things? But I wonder also, so I've been in leadership positions where the culture I was leading, it seemed like it took a quick spiral in unhealthy directions. And I remember during those times, just really wrestling with my own insecurities, thinking one, if I had really led well, this would not have happened. I must not have been leading well in order for all of this division and ugliness to rise up within this, this group. And I think there, obviously, I mean, there is a lot to be said for strong and healthy, good leadership. And, and I know for me, I could look back and say, okay, there were things I needed to do differently. I wish I had done differently. Part of the trap in that is the, that's a natural feeling to have. I think we all look at our own shortcomings and think, wow, if there was another leader in place, these things wouldn't have happened. And maybe, maybe I'm not the person for this. And yet we have to remember that if we're in that position, if God has placed us in that position, he's going to equip us. And it's not about I, 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 and me, me, me. It's about the Holy Spirit in me. And I'd, I'd love to read just from Second Timothy, starting in chapter one, verse three, Paul wrote, I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience as my forefathers did, as without ceasing, I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you being mindful of your tears that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded is in you also. And now here's, here's really the key is verse six, because Paul says, therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. You know, Paul is coming back and saying, okay, Timothy, don't, don't get so focused on your shortcomings, but remember who is in you. Remember what the Holy Spirit has given you, this calling. And then he goes on to say, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings of the gospel according to the power of God. And there's a lot there, isn't there? I mean, he's, he's encouraging Timothy, and yet 
he's acknowledging there's going to be suffering. Mm -hmm. Paul is so good at calling the best out of people and, and speaking truth into their lives. And when he said, you know, which is in you through the laying on of my hands, that was in, in that culture that basically signified ordination. And so he's like, remember when God called you. And I went through some with just past leadership experiences that I've had where some, you'll always have one or two people, it seems in every environment who kind of rises up and, and can stir things up. And I would be insecure feeling like my position was dependent on people's reaction to that particular person. And what finally made a difference for me it was actually when I wanted to quit a position and God made it really clear, like, no, you're, you're to stay. I called you to stay. You're to stay. And that was a mind shift for me that I realized I'm like, okay, if I'm here because I believe God is sovereign and I'm trying to honor him. So if I'm in this position, I'm going to stay in this position as long as God wants me in this position. If he wanted someone else to fill this role, then he would raise someone else up to fill this role. And I think we can remember that. I feel like that's kind of what Paul was saying to Timothy. Remember the gift that is in you through the laying on of hands. Remember your calling. If God wanted someone else to be here, they would be there. And I think we can, we can say that as in terms of if we're leading a, a team at work, or if we're leading our kids, I think sometimes as moms, we can feel like somebody else would do a better job parenting these kids or for those who are foster, foster parents, or even in your position as a Bible teacher, I think we can wrestle with those same feelings. Yeah. And I think sometimes I forget and, or we can forget that if God has called us to a particular position or role, then he didn't do that to abandon us in that role. He's going to continue to equip us. And I need to rely on that. I need to rely that on the fact that God is who he says he is, and he is going to give me what I need to glorify him and to, uh, to mature his people. Right. So we, it's not about my natural abilities. It's about what he is doing in and through me. And so again, it becomes less about me and more about him. Absolutely. And I love I love Paul's phrasing to fan into flame God's spirit within him. And I just get the sense of continue to, to grow the gifting that is in you, continue to grow your relationship with Jesus Christ, your reliance on the Holy Spirit. And I think sometimes when we're afraid, we do the opposite of that. We try, we can get so stuck in our heads, first of all, that we lose sight of Jesus Christ and his power within us. And and that kind of becomes a bit of a blockage. And then I think also we can want to kind of squash down the very gifting God, God plants within us because living fully yielded is frightening. It is frightening. And when you think about fanning something into flame, think about a flame when, when you are trying to light a fire or to keep, you have, you've started a fire and there's that little flicker, right? And you want to fan it. What you're doing is you're giving that flame oxygen to, to grow. 
And how often <clears throat> do we have this flame within us, the Holy Spirit within us, but our self-obsession actually quenches it. And it's, it's almost like um, when you put out a fire, what do you do? You step on it or you smother it so that it doesn't get any, uh, it, you cut off the supply of oxygen. And so when I am so self-obsessed with my own, am I doing a good job and, and do I have the skills and somebody else can do it better? It's the equivalent of smothering and cutting off the oxygen to that flame rather than submitting to the Holy Spirit and saying, okay, Lord, have your way. And that's just feeding the, the, the flame and what God wants to do in and through us. So I, I, I love word pictures and I, I just try to remember the, the picture of that flame and I can either fan it or I can smother it. Mm -hmm. And if, if we were to really kind of think in big, big picture terms, quenching the Holy spirit within us is actually more dangerous than anything we might, might face. And I I'm reminded my brother. So he, for a while, he was feeling called to North Korea and he was talking with family and I, a, a lot of people were trying to talk him out of going like this was not a good idea. Do you know what you're go, you're getting into? And for those of you who aren't aware, North Korea is very hostile to Christians. And and so pretty much if, if he went and he was discovered, it was it was he would die or, or be in prison for the rest of his life. And I remember wanting to wanting to deter him, to talk him out of going. And I just had this sense in my spirit. The worst thing I could do was to encourage him and teach him to ignore God's voice. Whatever God was calling him to do as his older sister, did I really want to encourage him to ignore, deny, and lose potentially lose his ability to hear the voice of God? And I think sometimes when we think of our fears that I love the, the picture that you painted, Ava, of, of fanning or quenching, do we really want to live unable to hear God's voice. And that's, that's pretty scary when you think about it, but it goes back to our priorities. Our culture has kind of conditioned us to think about safety as the absolute number one priority, security, safety, convenience. And in the case of your brother, everybody who loved him wanted him to be safe and secure and to serve God, but not in such a, such a dangerous uh, place. And often when I start putting those priorities ahead of what God has called me to do, I've made safety and security and people pleasing. I've, I've turned that into an idol where that becomes the most important thing to me. And that can carry over in our, into our ability to speak truth today that oh, well, if I say this, they're not going to like me. Or if I say this, I may be persecuted or, you know, I may not, you know, get that promotion or I may, whatever it is. And it's scary because each time I do that, what I'm doing is putting myself in a place where it becomes harder and harder to hear God's call and to fulfill it. One of the the ways when I'm really kind of struggling with what I, I love what you called self-obsession, especially in relation to safety, I need to up my love factor usually is, is what I need to do. And if I just really meditate, take some time where I'm meditating on the cross and on, on the price Jesus paid 
for me. And it reminds me of a couple of things. It reminds me that there are bigger things at stake. And, and sometimes I get stuck in the present, forgetting about eternity, the significance and the impact of of eternity. And then I need to remain really up, ask God to increase my love for people. I I think of Paul, he endured so much because it was so, so important to him to see people eternally safe. He loved Timothy deeply, but his focus for Timothy was not safety in the present moment, which really in the big scheme of things was a very short period of time. His focus was for Timothy and for all mankind for their eternal safety with Jesus Christ, where it's just going to be joy and peace and love and goodness and, and life as God originally intended. And I think when you talk about love, I love, I love that you're talking about increasing our love for others, because again, our understanding, just as our understanding of truth will influence how we speak it, our understanding of love influences how we speak truth as well. Because again, we're surrounded with definitions of love that just, oh, I love you. I want you to be happy. Love means you being happy and me being happy. But really the definition of love, when you think about it in light of the gospel is when you love somebody, you want God's best for that person. And God's best for that person is to know and understand and apply truth uh, in a way that will help them grow in their relationship with him and then help them fulfill his call on their lives. And it just keeps like ripples in the water. It just keeps spreading. But if we don't understand what it means to truly love somebody, we're going to be afraid to speak truth. And yet that may be exactly, not may, that is exactly what they need, what we need. We're speaking to you from the United States where honestly, we don't experience persecution. And so I cannot fully comprehend what it would be like for those of you who are in environments where maybe you are listening to this in your basement, because you know, if somebody were to see you listening or to know that you are listening, you know that you would be in danger. And so I do want to preface our conversation with that. Sometimes I get so distracted. First of all, I forget where I was before Jesus began transforming me. And then I get so distracted just by our culture and our media. And I can forget how dark the darkness really is. I can look at my own life. And so I didn't grow up in a Christian environment. And I can look at a lot of like my extended family who were involved in drugs and alcohol, and there was divorce. And you just see generations of brokenness and and generations of, of deep, deep, deep hurt. And maybe they were physically safe, but their soul has been deeply, deeply damaged. When I speak of soul, I'm talking about their entirety of their inner core. And I forget, like I said, just how dark life is apart from Jesus Christ. And I need to periodically just sit in that and remember that. And when I'm encountering other people and they might come off as angry or hostile, and my first reaction is to become defensive, I need to just pause and just say, Lord, show me show me their darkness, show me their slavery, and then give me compassion for that. And what does that compassion look like? It 
It involves speaking truth, but that's where that balance of love and grace comes in, not to beat them over the head with, you know, with a 10 pound Bible, but to come alongside and understand, well, maybe we can't understand everything they're going through, but to ask questions and to find out where they, where they are coming from so that as we speak truth, we can speak truth that they will be receptive to hearing and to processing. I think that goes back to fanning the flame of the Holy Spirit and approaching it with humility, recognizing our own weaknesses as humans, our own pride, our own tendency to pride, and our own inability to really perceive people in situations well. I think we need to come into the situation recognizing our assumptions are probably incorrect. Our strategy might be incorrect. And therefore, we absolutely, if we want to speak truth in love and grace, and I know for me, it's so common where I can sense God's leading in an area and I can even start out completely surrendered to Christ and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And then somewhere in the course of the discussion, I can switch over to Jennifer Slattery. And then that's when I get out of step with the Holy Spirit. And and then instead of it being this beautiful, grace-filled, inviting conversation it can become ugly and hostile and argumentative. And for me, again, it can just, it can switch in the span of a breath. That happens to me when I get, when I start out in in the power of the Holy Spirit, and then I end up moving into the power of Ava. The problem there is that the humility goes right out the window and it turns, sharing truth becomes a monologue instead of a dialogue. And I'm not asking questions. I'm not finding out. I'm not listening to the other person to find out if they even recognize their need. They're not going to hear truth if they haven't identified their own need. And maybe the need I've identified in them is not the need they see in themselves. So when I ask questions and I really listen to them. It does a couple of things. It keeps me humble. It helps me understand how I might phrase things. Not that I'm going to compromise the truth. Instead of making it a monologue where I'm just preaching at them, I want it to be a dialogue where I'm sharing truth and asking questions and helping them process what I'm saying so that they can receive what God has for them. I think Paul provides a great example in that as well. If you read through his, all of his letters, they always are like, I'm praying for you constantly. And so we just get this sense that he was so alert to God and he was praying for the the person and probably just praying like, Lord, what, what should I say? What should I not say? And I had heard somebody had mentioned at some point. So if we're not praying for the person, then there's a pretty good probability. We are not the ones to speak that truth. And if we don't have a strong relationship with them, then we're probably not the person most called to speak that truth. Absolutely. And I think when we pray for them, somebody once said, and I I don't remember where I heard it, but it's really stuck with me, is that when I think of somebody who may be hostile to the gospel or, or just needs the gospel and God has called me to speak into their life, my prayer needs to start with, Lord, help me see them as you see them. Help me have your res- perspective 
uh, of that person so that I'm not seeing them, you know, just from a human perspective, but Lord, I, I want to see them as you do and the needs that they have that you know, Lord, that you've identified in their life. I am usually in a hurry and it's, I want somebody to go from, from zero to 60 in one conversation. And as I've just grown in my interactions with others and, and in my relationship with Christ and in my experience of, of sharing Christ and seeing when speaking truth has done more damage than good and also when it's been effective, I've learned sometimes just that well-timed question and, and maybe just a, a short little statement that can actually have more power than if I give this really long discussion. And I have to trust that, first of all, God will be using a lot of different people. I'm not the only person speaking truth into that person's life. And then second of all, I don't need to give them all of God's truth all in that moment. And I think God is so much more patient than we are. And I think we have been so influenced by a culture that uh, it's almost like a sales culture that we've got to close the deal, right? We've got to, we've got to lay out the, the product and close the deal. And often it's not about that at all. It's, and, and maybe, you know, maybe it is, maybe we'll share the gospel and the light bulb will go off and that's great. But often it's sharing and give the Holy Spirit chance, a chance to take the seed that we've planted and water it and fertilize it. And it may be watered and fertilized by other other people. And then he may bring us back in for you know a little bit more and a little bit more. I, I had an experience where a friend was a part of a writer's group that I was part of for more than 10 years. And uh, another friend and I would share our faith, but we didn't push and we didn't force it. And it took 10 years. And then we found out last Christmas that on her own, apart from either one of us, she had just accepted Christ and surrendered to the Lord. And it, but it came in God's timing for her as opposed to us forcing it. I know for me being a task oriented person, I find it really helpful. If I'm focused on quote unquote, sharing the truth, sometimes I can come down too heavy on truth. But if I focus on growing and learning as a truth sharer, then somehow that just helps me to take a step back and to remain curious throughout the conversation, to remain alert. And, and it kind of helps me be more grace filled and really Really, that's the balance we want to find. We want to speak truth with grace, with love, with humility, led by the Holy Spirit, informed by scripture. And we want to be people who share God's love and life with a broken and hurting generation. Well, thank you so much for listening. I hope today just gave you some things to think about, to process through, maybe some action steps to take as you grow in your own courage to speak truth and then in your presentation of that truth. Ava, again, thank you for joining us. Thank you. I've enjoyed our conversation. And to our listeners, if you haven't already done so, I would encourage you to subscribe to this podcast. Then you won't miss a single episode. And I'd love it if you would share it. That will help others to gain the truth as well. And we would be encouraged if you would rate it. That helps others to find it. And until next time, may you live as one who truly has been set free. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to Faith Over Fear, a production of Life Audio and the Salem Web Network. If you enjoyed what you heard today, we'd love for you to head over to your favorite podcast app and leave us a review. 
To learn more about Jennifer Slattery or to check out any of the resources she mentioned in this episode, just head over to her website, jenniferslatterylivesoutloud.com, or check out our show notes. This episode was produced by Kelly Givens and edited by Stephen Sanders. A special thanks to our executive producer, Stephen McGarvey. For more Faith Toolkit podcasts like this, just head over to lifeaudio.com. I'm Dr. Lauren DeVille, a practicing naturopathic physician in Tucson, Arizona. In my podcast, Christian Natural Health, my guests and I discuss topics ranging from nutrition, sleep, hormone balancing, and exercise to specific health concerns like hair loss, anxiety, and hypothyroidism. I'll also interweave biblical principles as they apply throughout the podcast because true health is body, mind, and spirit. Listen to Christian Natural Health for free at lifeaudio.com or on your favorite podcast platform.